identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them and that he was also a necrophiliac. And welcome, everybody, to Halloween 2023. Um, you know, of course, most of you who have listened or know me know that uh, Halloween kind of has a special near-dear place in my heart. Uh, love the holidays. As far as I'm concerned, after Halloween's done, the holidays are dead. But, you know, arguing with a wife, but it is what it is. Uh, this really isn't an issue, oddities, as much as just a special. And, uh, you know, Josh and I talk about movies a lot. We both um, just love the big screen. And movies out there, a lot of times we tie that into, you know, this, the normal Strange Uncles podcast just for the stories and, you know, Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky, all this other stuff, you know, what, yada, yada. Um, I thought it fitting that, uh, you know, keep in mind that um, this is going to be kind of a stream of consciousness a little bit. I don't have anything written down or a script, but I, being that it was Halloween, being that it's, uh, it is today, I really thought it would be fitting to go ahead and cover a little bit of history. One of my favorite horror movies of, of, of all time, if not the favorite of all time, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. A lot of you probably know it. You know, if you don't know about it, at least you've definitely seen it. Either you're a fan or at least you've heard about it somewhere in the echoes or whatever have you. Um, I picked up a book that just recently came out, and it actually it is called House of Rejects, and it is about the making of not only House for a Thousand Corpses, but the entire Firefly trilogy that, of course, started with that movie, went into Devil's Rejects, and then finished up with Three from Hell, which, um, you know, the, the vote is out on which movies are great, which movies aren't. Um, you know, again, big fan of Devil's Rejects. I don't really have a comment about uh, Three from Hell, honestly. Um, not quite done with the book, to be honest with you. I just recently got through the history of just the filming and the ad- adaptation of the Thousand Corpses movie. Um, next is Devil's Rejects, of course, and... You know, I might get on and do a special on that. And I might bring Josh in on some movies, too. And I think maybe these will just be like, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, filmography specials that we can, you know, for you guys to, to listen to. But anyway, without further ado, um, again, keep in mind, don't have a script in front of me. I'm just going to take some sections out of the book, some things that I remember. I'm very interesting. Most of you who are Rob Zombie fan, obviously also are a House for Thousand Corpses fan. Um, a lot of what behind the scenes, and, and I remember as a kid, you know, teenager waiting for the scene to come out. Um, it was, Well, not really a teenager. It was, what, 99, 2000. So I was in the Navy floating around the ocean. Um, but young, young in my years. And just waiting for it. I remember seeing, like, little clips on, on like, shitty VHS movies that, you know, they would show these trailers beforehand, and there was one where, you know, they got all these these. The cops and these FBI agents dressed up in hazmat suits. It's pouring rain. They're digging holes and, and they're finding these bodies. In hindsight, nothing to do with the movie, to be honest with you, at all, um, which I'll cover a little bit of that. But it was just seeing these little snippets of them trying to promote this thing. But nobody knew when it was actually going to hit the shelves. Nobody knew when it was going to be done. Um, and needless to say, it, it was an actual whirlwind of just, holy shit, if something could go wrong, it did. Um, a lot of misrepresentation, a lot of bad timing. Um, so anyway, without further ado, we're going to cover it. Um, I will say briefly, too, I want to talk a little bit about Rob Zombie himself. Again, you know, we know his real name, but 
things I didn't know. Um, knew he was already weird. Obviously, White Zombie was was the first thing that you know most people attached him to before he went solo. Uh, there were some issues with the band, um, being that he was sleeping with one of the band members, and that relationship didn't go well. Um, and he really was the force behind that behind White Zombie and what it was. He's the one that named him. He was the one that did the artwork. He was the one that did the promos. Not taking anything away from the band as a whole, but he really was a one-man show, and, and that's just Rob Zombie. If, if you've seen his movies, you listen to his documentations, or you listen to his uh, interviews, things like that, he likes owning things. He takes things, and he kind of he's got an eye. He's got a knack, um, but because of that, he is very, um, what's the word for it, just man, no, this is mine, don't touch it type thing, right? Um, and I'm like that a little bit, so I kind of understand that. But it was with White Zombie, the band, that he did the same thing before he decided to go solo. Uh, other things I did not know, really what started his love in some of this stuff, um, was he, his mom and dad, for a brief time, worked on the carnival circus. So as a kid... You know, he'd go around and he'd, you know, he'd work behind the scenes in these haunted houses as he went town to town and he helped, you know, the parents set him up and stuff. And, and he just, he had this carny background to him and, and that really went a long way. And you can see a lot of that in his, in his writing and his music and his, his movie making, you know, obviously I just didn't know. But anyway, little tidbit on just Rob Zombie in general. Obviously, we know about White Zombie. The story behind the movie really starts in around the year 1999, 2000. So, you know, White Zombie's pretty much a thing, you know, done. Um, you know, they played one last show, and, it, you know, it's funny in the book, he's like, I just knew that when I handed the mic over to a stagehand, I walked off that stage, that was the last show I was ever going to do with White Zombie, and he knew it. Um, and I think most of the band members knew that as well. Just, you know, time was up, right? You know, I think I want to say we really were together for about six years um, before things broke free um, and done. So that allowed him to kind of be creative and own things more. You know, not that he wasn't already, but own things a little bit more in regards to having a solo career. And again, most of you know, if you're a fan, first album, Hillbilly Deluxe, um, really didn't hit it as big as, I mean, it's huge now after the fact. But here's the scenario. So in that time frame, it was, it was weird for movie making. It was a bad, 90s weren't great for horror movies in general. Um, early 2000s weren't great. Actually, they got better. There's a lot of them that came out in the, like, the mid-2000s that kind of helped revive you know, the horror movie. And one of the production companies that was suffering the most really was Universal, which is very ironic because uh, for most of you know, Universal was the ones that actually came out with the original monsters in the movies. You know, They had the werewolf and Frankenstein and Dracula, and uh, they made a whole franchise off of this in the early 30s, 40s, um, and just ran with that really made their name as a, as a universal studio, which I think is, you know, just fascinating in its own right. So for them, you know, fast forward, you know, this 90s, early 2000s time frame, to really not have a stake in the horror genre whatsoever uh, was a thing, you know, and of course the head ups on Universal knew this. So when Rob Zombie started, uh, came out with this album, um, they knew some of his history, and they knew they actually approached him and said, "Hey, we would like you to actually host. Can we put your name on a, a haunted amusement feature that we're going to have in the park?" Um, and of course, Rob Zombie jumped at it because you know here he is, fresh out. You know, he's doing a solo thing. He's trying to get recognition. He's trying to get you know his name off on you know in the in people's mouths and his feet off the ground. Uh, and so Universal come to him to do that was awesome. And so you know that's what he did. So he created this whole montage in, of like different rooms, and um, you know he was a backdrop for a lot of the artwork and all this other stuff. Um, and needless to say, <laughs> you know Rob Zombie has a 
a, a skew view of things. Like things, sometimes if you're really not paying attention, they don't fit. And likewise, this this Universal Studios amusement house um, did not fit. I mean, every room was different. Uh, it was just him just just puking out of his mind the, these things that were going to, you know, how he's going to tie this stuff together. But Universal backed him, and they gave him a lot of money to do it. And it was a huge, huge success. And so this is when Rob decided, you know what? I've got their attention. I'm going to go ask them something. One thing that Rob always wanted to do, and he did it with his videos. There's a lot of videos that he basically directed and produced. Of course, videos versus movie, two totally different things. Um, but he went to the big head honchos in Universal and says, hey, I got an idea about a movie. Can you give me a cool mill and I'll film it? Well, needless to say, it's well, great. You know, I mean, the number one, I mean, the execs. You and I know the million dollars is a fucking lot of money, but in the movie world, it really isn't. It's it's a drop in the pond. So for somebody to come that's already proved his worth, you know, built them a, an exhibit, it, it's hand over fist selling tickets, uh, to them it was a win-win. And on top of that, if you remember that time frame, movies like Blair Witch Project had just dumped. And, you know, here's a movie that was filmed for, oh God, I can't it's like 40,000 or 60-something thousand, and it literally, like, made millions because it was it was first of its kind. You know, they built it, this folklore behind this Blair Witch and this thing, and they had media behind it, and people thought it was real. Like, it was just nothing. But, like, before even social platforming was a thing nowadays, but the, you know, Blair Witch, this is how it happened. Um, and so, you know, Universal saw that and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, we want to slice this pie too. And so when Rob approached them, they're like, fuck, perfect. You know, let's go ahead and give them the money. Let's go from there. Problem was Rob didn't really have an idea. So <laughs> he had some, some brief little things in his head about, you know, what he thought really, he really only had a title and the title obviously was a house of a thousand corpses. Um, he brought other people into the fold that he had worked with uh, to talk about this thing and, and do a script and, and figure things out. Uh, but there was a timeline, and the head on chosen Universal put him on that timeline. So trying to make something, put something together, you know, and again, I'm sure he had ideas, but right there, you know, when you're reading this book and the interviews, he's like, I really didn't. I, I, didn't, I was related to other people to tell me these things. Um, but that's kind of how it started. That was the seed that planted. So Onwards and upwards with this movie, they got a, a rough script together. Um, he started thinking about um, actors and actresses, who they wanted to be in the movie. Of course, you know, many of you know that Rob is very loyal and he loves bringing like old school up, you know. Everybody has seen the video Dragula, you know, where he's in the monsters, you know, race mode. But which, by the way, he was never in the, the in the video. It shows that it's your grandpa's race car. It wasn't great. It was actually the hearse mobile. They just chopped it and cropped it, so you couldn't tell that that's what he was driving. He could never get his hands actually on the the Dragula itself. Um, so anyway, you know, little bit of fact there. But, you know, he already had these things, and he already liked bringing like old school. And he was a big, huge monsters fan, which. Um, I probably will end up doing a special on Monsters 2 just because that's, you know, mixed reviews for sure. But, you know, we'll, we'll start here and we'll, you know, we'll go forth. But um, so he had some of that, but he didn't really have a lot. You know, to, again, film and movies, a totally another ecosystem. But one thing that he did do, he started bringing in people that he really wanted to bring in. And one thing that he also did do was he really didn't have a lot of auditions. He knew certain parts and certain roles, and he knew exactly who he wanted to place in those roles. There were some people that turned him down. Um, but, for example, uh, Sid Haig. 
you know, we can start there. Uh, Sig Haig, of course, you know, if most of you, which I, I watched it, it, it's an old black and whiter and it's, it's okay. It's odd, but, um, Rob Zombie had big influences from uh, a lot of old black and white movies. Sid Haig was one of them. He was in a movie, I want to say 67, it was called Spider Baby. And then the day, you know, especially the very beginning, the previews, it, it, I think it was something. I mean, I, I think it really shocked a lot of people. But Sid Haig, that was one of his first roles, and he fell in love. And, and what's funny is he was in that role, but he really cast him because uh, Sid Haig was in this weird sci-fi, Jason and something, Jason and Starwing or the Command. It was some cheap, not even B, it was C, close to D type filmography that was some series on TV. Um, Sid Haig was in that, and that's really where Rob Zombie initially fell in love with with Sid. And he said, you know what? I've got this character called uh, Captain Spaulding. I want you to play it. fucking Moses, y'all get the fuck out of here. Clowny, keep your paws where I can see. Yeah, don't move. I'll blast the holes of the size of a, a Kansas City watermelon through your ugly ass bozo face. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Go grab that other asshole out of the shitter and drag his ass back in here. Right. You miserable motherfucker. I ought to jump over this counter and bash your fucking balls in. At the time, Sid Haig was retired, um, which I, I, again, not to talk ill will of the dead. You know, we all, most of you know that Sid Haig did pass um, soon after the filming of Three from Hell, which was very sad, you know, in his mid-80s, but um, still sad. Anyway, nonetheless... Uh, you know, he had retired. And so, you know, he's known, uh, known mostly for a lot of like black exploitation films. He played with, uh, Pam Greer as, you know, like this gritty detective. A lot of these weird seventies, late, early eighties movies that, but he felt he just wasn't really getting the roles that he really wanted to get. So he retired. Um, few years prior when Rob actually approached him and said, Hey, I want you to be in this movie. Uh, but he sent him the script, said, read it. He goes, you know what? I love this fucking character. I'm going to do this. I'm going to come out of retirement. Again, kind of funny that he's, he's in retirement. But anyway, so there's Captain Spaulding. Um, obviously, uh, Baby, which is on the move. We all know Sherry Moon Zombie. Um, at the time, they were not married. At the time, they were dating. And at the time, she had absolutely no acting experience whatsoever. She was a backup dancer in uh, his solo gig. So when he was actually Rob Zombie, uh, she was hired to be a, a backup go-go dancer, you know, on stage, videos, things like that. Um, one thing led to another. They fell in love. And they did eventually get married. They got married actually after House for a Thousand Corpses wrapped. Hey, poopy pants. What's new? Where the fuck is Bill? Where's Denise? You can't keep us here! Shut up! Hey, you wanna play a guessing game? Guess what number I'm thinking of. Eat shit and die. <laughs> no, wait, please! Come on, stop it! What do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want please from me? Please be quiet, I don't wanna slip! <laughs> One more. If you get this right, I'll let you go. If you get it wrong, you are fucked. Okay, who is my favorite movie star? I don't know. M Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. No, Betty Davis. Sorry, you lose. <laughs> ah! 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 After nine years, I think I want to say, you know, they were together. But, uh, you know, he, he decided, you know, this, this is a perfect fit for this other character. Um, problem was, again, he's never directed nor produced anything at all. Um, she has never been in a movie or acting at all. So, you know, you got, <laughs> you 
two fish out of water that are, you know, they're dating on top of that. And um, there's one quote in the book that was like literally, you know, they're at home and she's like, you know, I've never acted before. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, you know, I've never directed and produced before. I don't know what I'm going to do. And (laughs) there they were trying to make something something work, right? Um, And then you have all these other actors. And again, I'm not going to go into detail, but we know, you know, Rain Wilson, for example, from The Office uh, was one of the the bystanders. Of course, you know, Fish Boy later on in the movie. What's in that case over there? Hairless monkey. (laughs) Did you see the crocodile boy? (laughs) How'd you like to find that in your pants? Excuse me, sir? Um, and all that stuff. And I'm not going to go into the plot. I mean, if you haven't seen it, go see it. it it's just it, basically people in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, the Firefly family show up. They get in the picture. Um, they basically, uh, it's night before Halloween, and um, all hell breaks loose. Like, it just is not good. They stumble on the wrong house on the wrong night, basically. And Captain Spaulding, of course, is in that whole ecosystem, too. But, um, Anyway, you know, again, if you haven't seen it, go see it. But uh, Rain Wilson, we know, was in there. And then the other ones are, are fairly lesser known, too. The the uh, girlfriend and boyfriends that were in the car that actually showed up at Captain Spaulding's Museum, and then, of course, at the house. A lot of those were, were not very well-known actors. I think a few of them had some soap opera gigs, things like that, commercials, uh, but nothing really major. You know, this is – so for the for the most of the, the cast, the, you know, 80% of it at least, um, f- fresh meat. I mean, nobody really knew what was going on. So anyway, with that being said, they kind of got a cast together. You know, they had their main people kind of picked. Um, same thing with like Mama Firefly. Uh, she never auditioned. She was an old actress back in the day that Rob had liked. Uh, she wasn't sure actually about doing the movie. She initially turned it down and then she came back. But, you know, I, I'm going to do this anyway. Reading the book and hearing some interviews from Rob Zombie, I think they kind of butted heads at times. There was a lot of... Uh, you know, what she wanted as far as artistic value and what Rob wanted, um, you know, and again, you know, covered it before. Rob's kind of like he kind of owns things. So, you know, I'm sure there's some some things there. And he had some other fallouts with some of the cast members. Of course, Grandpa, um, that was one of the only ones that was cast and did audition for. Uh, they had lined up three or four different people. Uh, he told this lewd joke in the audition um, that just blew him out of the water. They're like, yep, that's him. A little story. Eat your wives, pussy! <laughs> I'll eat dinner, you pussy! And starts licking and chomping on her pussy, and she's screaming and yelling, and she just... Ah! Now, the battle axe is almost like to crush my balls! Ah! You be quiet! You're gonna wake up Grandma! Um, funny thing too is that he pops up in the movie not as grandpa but in and out of makeup you know periodically so um, my thing to you listeners is watch the movie see if you can't see what's going on another thing we talk about cameos um, and again maybe you guys have seen this maybe you didn't but if you haven't check it out uh, I caught the still in the book that actually has this hunchback in the very beginning there's this um, old uh, TV personality you know uh, ghost with the most I know shit that's that's Michael Cass, Beetlejuice, who is it? The ghoul was something. Anyway, it, it was an O2. Uh, back in the Midwest, there's a lot of these old midnight um, horror guests, hosts that would, you know, do. Avar was one of them. They'd do these things. So it was kind of a throwback. Originally, that was never supposed to be filmed, especially filmed at the beginning of the show. 
And I'll get a little bit more into, you know, what ended up on the cutting room floor because it, it's absolutely crazy. It's almost an entirely different movie. Um, but that was a guy that he had worked with that actually helped him uh, throughout a lot of his videos, brought him on board for the movie, um, and that was him in makeup. And then I caught the hunchback, his helper, that you really only see one or two times at the very beginning. You see um, them, like, smashing pumpkins, I think, in one quick little second scene and something else. Well, that was Rob Zombie. You know, for those of you, uh, again, maybe you guys know, maybe you don't, but he was so, it was so quick and his makeup was so um, heavy that you really, unless you're really paying attention, you didn't know or you heard it from somewhere or whatever have you. Um, originally, Rob was supposed to play that horror host. He was going to be Wolfman dressed as a wolf and he had a top hat and all this shit. And I guess when they did their initial um, shooting, Rob came out of the trailer after, you know, hours of all this makeup and started doing it. And it's like, fuck this. I, I can't do this. I can <laughs> threw his hat down and left. And that's when they came up with the idea of what they actually did. Um, so anyway, you know, fun facts, you know, throughout the movie. Um, so they ended up working with the script. Now, the problem was, number one, they ran over budget. Um, mainly because of just what Rob was doing. It seemed like every day, you know, he'd go home, he, he'd think of, oh, no, this would work with this scene, and this would tie this actor together with this actor, and he'd do a bunch of write-ups at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and then show up the next day and throw them to the cast members and go, oh, I got a revision. Um, so the movie shooting went forever because it just was never, it was never really the same when they were writing the script. Uh, for example, he did find the perfect house, which was out, I want to say out in Sonoma Valley or something. It was, it was way out of LA. Um, it was perfect for what he wanted. It was up in a valley. It was secluded, but the cost it would have been to, you know, take all the crew, boat them out there, put them up on hotels, all this other stuff. They would have blown through that million dollars in like, you know, a week. I mean, so kind of out. This is where Universal stepped back in and said, you know, we have stuff here on the back lot you can use. I know that's really not what you want to do because you want to be creative and this is all original, but, you know, trust us, you can use what you need to use. So, um, fate has it, which was badass. And one of these days, I'll get time to go out there. But the uh, Universal Backlot, it has all kinds of stand. You can tour it, which is which is really cool. Literally, where the Firefly House is, or where it was, sat two houses down from the Psycho House, and was across the road from another house. So, if you remember in the movie where the uh, hitchhikers get, or the people in the car, they basically, well, the cheerleaders, I'm sorry, um, they got abducted and, and um, Otis is fucking with them and, you know, killing them and all this other bullshit. Uh, there's a scene where the dad is like, you know, there's a Halloween scene, it's daytime, he's looking out the window. Technically, that house is on the back lot. So, as he's looking out the window at the kids on the bikes out on the road, it, really like at 11 o'clock, if you were looking, you know, to the left, that's where the Firefly house set. Like, that's how close the backstage was. The problem with the backlot was, because of where the house sat, they had, number one, they had a Jaws uh, um, show there that they did with, you know, this fake robotic shark pops up, da-da-da, splashes. You could, through the whole shooting, they could hear that, and they could hear the screams of the people. And then, of course, where it was at, they couldn't, funnel off that road because that road was a main thoroughfare for the tour so unless you cancel the tours and close the road down which universal wasn't going to do because that's a shitload of money um they would have these tour buses just drive by during the shooting and you know and, and take taking picture oh this new rob zombie movie of course the cast members are flipping them off and all this shit um i do want to go back on the cast members though um and most of you so bill mosley which was actually um otis in the movie Scary little rabbits. Run, rabbit, run. Run, rabbit, run. Run, rabbit, run. Run, 
the best one, in, in my opinion. Um, he's got a little sordid detail, too, and there's history there with him and Rob. It was a few years prior, actually a couple years prior, sorry, when Rob was doing like all these videos and he was working on the Universal House and all this other stuff. And I can't remember what it was, and I don't really think it exists anymore, but there was a, an award show that was for basically horror and special effects and, you know, the people behind the scenes that really didn't get their up and comings. You know, they didn't really get recognition for what they did. And uh, Rob Zombie had won an award for that. And the person that gave him the award was actually Bill Mosley. Um, and most of you might remember Bill Mosley actually was Chop Top off to Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Uh, I think he was also in a bunch of other little things. I think it was in another uh, Chainsaw Massacre remake. Um, but just an iconic role playing Chop Top. And uh, here's this guy that Rob, you know, obviously grew up with. He saw him and he's handing him the award. Well, then fast forward to the cast in the movie. He reached out to Bill, and he's like, hey, how would you, do you want to do this? And and Mosley was like, holy shit, yeah. I mean, it's just such a – I know it sounds strange because, you know, most people watch it. It's just a dumb fucking horror movie. But when you do tear it apart and you break down the scripts and you look at the characters, Bill Mosley's character is fucking amazing. And so is Captain Spaulding's. Like, there's so much history. There's so much – like, and then you – they like, Rob, like, spoon-feeds it to you in the movie, and – yeah, there's a lot. You can just watch it as just a dumb fucking horror slasher flick, whatever. But there really is a lot of layer that Rob put into designing the characters, how they worked with one another, their history, um, and all that other stuff. So I'd be amiss if I didn't mention him because obviously he's he's one of the main cast members too. Um, his role was different along with Babies because they weren't going to be in the movie as much. Um, and then there was a bunch of script chopping and this and that. And then they were in the movie more. Um, and then there were scripts, of course, you know, overnight, Rob would write something, he'd show up and they'd, you know, hey, Bill, you know, Otis, you need to be in this portion here because this ties this together. Like Rob saw the fluidity of what needed to happen. I, and I, you know, again, I digress. I just think that's really kind of cool. So um, they're doing all the all the script cutting. They're doing that. Of course, they ran out of money. So Rob had to go back to Universal and go, hey, I need more money, um, which, uh, again, gladly to give it to him because, they're number one, they're still making Hand Over Fist off of media. You know, his album, he, now he has a song uh, called House for a Thousand Corpses that, you know, is dedicated to the movie. And Universal had plans. Once they figured out, let's say they, so they had such a big thing with this whole Rob haunted house thing the year prior. And when he approached him with the movie, of course, their heads are spinning. They're like, wait a minute. Yes, you know, five or six million is really nothing to give, considering some of the money that is behind some of these movies. Yeah, it's insane how much money gets thrown around. But their idea was, okay, you make this movie, the next season that comes around, we're going to tie that into that haunted attraction at the Universal Studios. And so as he's writing the script, the Universal head honchos are like, okay, they're going to call it House for a Thousand Corpses. And they're going to, it's going to be basically a reverse back and forth movie promotion. You know, the, the, the haunted exhibit is going to be, you know, part of the movie. You can walk through the Firefly's living room, all this other shit. And then bam, the movie is going to come out. And just to Universal, this was perfect. Like this tied everything together. Like it was just, oh, too, too good. We're going to make hand over fist, right? Well, not right. So um, if you guys remember back in that time frame, uh, early 2000, in fact, I think it was 99, if not 2000, uh, Columbine happened, uh, the Columbine shootings in Colorado. And, um, you know, and, and I mentioned it because it does play a big part in what happens. Um, it was unfortunate. It, it was one of the biggest mass shootings in, well, not nowadays. Nowadays, it seems like fucking happens every week. 
But back then it was a thing. Um, they banned trench coats. Like it, it was crazy, you know, how much they care. Even like Kevin Smith, for example, Jay and Silent Bob, um, he got flack for the outfit that he picked because of uh, Columbine. Like it was just, it stirred up the country in so many ways. And needless to say, it stirred up a lot of the conservatives as well. And the uh, parents and the groups that really wanted to try to make sure that they were protecting their kids. Well, a lot of that went back to, again, movies and Universal Studios and MGM, all these other big head honchos, um, because they wanted to make sure that they weren't infecting these kids. And it, uh, again, it, it really wasn't that year. It happened, you know, a decade earlier with uh, Ozzy Osbourne and, you know, some kid committed suicide because of one of his songs. And so Ozzy went to trial and all this bullshit. Because it just is, you know, they're trying their best to, to, to censor and, oh, this is where this is coming from. No, maybe your parents are shitty. Maybe that's where it's coming from. Maybe if you pay attention to what your kid is doing and teach them some ethics, maybe that's where it's coming from. Or maybe it's just weird shit that happens. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, call in mind happened because they just weren't fucking there or they were bullied on or they were... You know, you pick an issue and, and run with it because that's the problem. It is not, you know, fucking a song or bitch is going to get hers in a rap song. It's nothing to do with that. It, it, you know, yeah, some people take that to a certain point, but that's not where you start, when, especially when you come with mental, uh, uh, mental issues. It just, it's not a good thing. But needless to say, because of that, um, all the movie studios, the TVs, the censorship that came down. A lot of you probably remember the PMRC, Paris Music Resource Center, ran by Tipper Gore's wife, um, or Al Gore, I'm sorry, Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore. Uh, and she got together with a bunch of parents and, you know, Dee Schneider went to court and Frank Zappa went to court. I'm like, look, you guys are censoring music. You can't, it's like burning books, which fuck me. It's happening today. Like it's insane. But I digress. I will get on my soapbox. But anyway, you have all these things happening um, and these groups that are really trying to just, you know, I mean, all jokes aside, take fun away. I mean, that's really what it meant to. But with Universal, um, it was a problem because so one of the not the CEO, but there was a gal that was a, a chairman and she was the one that was basically in charge of what they show, what they don't show and all this other stuff. Um, she had to go to to get the capital and confess and go, look, no, us as a studio, you know, we make sure that we know exactly what we're putting on screen. We make sure that, you know, we are, our, our exhibits that we do at our, our, you know, universal studios and our tours and, and everything we, you know, if you're 13 years or younger, you're not allowed. Well, reality is, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of 11, 12 year olds that snuck in and saw the haunted attraction at universal studios. I mean, that's really hard to, to kind of not maintain that. But, you know, here she is trying to just make a defense for the studio, say, no, you know, we're careful with what we do, and this is what go- is going on. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Rob is almost done shooting the film, um, and some of the Universal people are like, oh, holy shit, you know, they hear this NC-17 rating fly around. And... They're like, oh, my God, I don't think that this is I, – I, we can't – we can't really – I mean, we just – she just came off Capitol Hill. She just basically was in a hearing about, no, we care about what we release, and we are, are not going to release these things. And here's Rob Zombie casually making House of Corpses in the background. So needless to say, um, he got called into the office when everything was kind of said and done, uh, almost wrapped up. They still had some shooting to do. He had, uh, in fact, because of this, there, there, because of this, there's a lot of shooting he did at his house um, that were like behind the scene shots and these things because he still there was still color set, uh, color editing that needed to be done and, and all kinds of stuff. But they had 
the rough version of the movie, basically. And so they went ahead, and uh, before he went into the office, mind you, sorry, um, they had a screening, like, you know, movie execs do, so they could see what's out there. And um, this guy, and I cannot remember her name, I can look it up, but the guy that basically was part of Capitol in Capitol Hill during a hearing saying, you know, no, we're, we don't do that, we don't promote that. Um, she was part of the screening, and she walked out, her eyes were just fucking huge, and I, I don't, so there's mixed bags here. Rob Zombie thinks that uh, it's not necessarily she didn't like it, probably liked it, but she she had a resolve as far as she was concerned, and she had uh, something she really had to adhere to, which was, look, we can't release this. Um, there were other execs that came out of the screening, like, oh, my God, I don't know what I just saw. Like, it just it blew them away. Nothing like this has been shot before, you know, and if it was, it was, you know, something that was buried deep, deep down and nobody ever, you know, a B movie somewhere that maybe is just as horrible. But this was the first, you know, mainstream horror movie like this that a mainstream musician, um, you know, Universal Studio, you know, the haunted exhibit, like he's his name is all over. Like this was this was it. This was the first. This never of its kind had happened. And so he gets called in the office with um, a couple other producers who were working with him. Basically, she said, and and in an interview, Rob did, you know, in his defense, look, she did what she had to do. We understand it. It was a bummer that happened. It was a weird ecosystem. It was a weird time in America and just what was going on in the country, you know, along with the world. Um, he got it. But at the same time, it was really shitty that just she basically had to go, we can't release this. This will not work. There's no way Universal is going to put their name behind this. They just, they're not going to. It's not going to occur. Um, so, cool thing is, she says, you know what, though? She goes, you spent a lot of work into this. And, you know, the movie at the time was coming in at like $7 million and some change. Um, so what the studio ended up doing was basically allowed Robbie to buy it. But Rob, Robbie, duh, to buy it back for next to nothing. So like a fraction of what it costs to even make the movie, uh, which he gladly did because now he owns the movie. And they said, the least we could do, you know, hey, good luck with it. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. Of course, the um, the House of Thousand Corpses exhibit that was going to be the interaction and the promo from the movie and the exhibit promo for, you know, vice versa. Of course, that went away. They still had the exhibit, but they took all the Thousand Corpses off of it title. Like, uh, nothing was attached to it. So they, they basically just pretty much wiped their hands of it and buried it in the sand. And, okay, done deal. Here you go. Buy your shit back. And now here's Rob without um, anybody, you know, running around. So So it's the thing. So uh, he ends up taking a lot of his own money, um, and he ends up uh, doing the cuts, doing uh, the editing, some of the color stuff that they need to, everything else. Needless to say, a lot of the movie that was shot originally uh, ended up on the cutting room floor. The movie that was originally done, that was planned, that he had originally scripted, is nothing like what House of Thousand Corpses is now currently. Like, it, it just isn't. Um, funny thing is, a lot of the stuff wasn't even really kept. Uh, I did purchase the last year, there was a um, 20th anniversary edition uh, that was that came out that was like, uh, you know, it had like special behind the scenes, interviews with actors, all this other stuff. And um, and I bought it, you know, brought it home. And yeah, there's behind the scenes footage. It's about like 139 minutes of behind the scenes footage. Longer than the movie. The movie only stays in like at 88 minutes or some shit like that. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting to see, but at the same time, that's really all that got saved. Everything else got scrapped, right? So anyway, you know, here here's Rob Zombie. House without a home, a movie without a home. And so now he has to promote it. Now he has to go find um, a distributor to back it. 
Of course, you know, the ones that come to line, you know, New Line Cinema was one of the first ones that Rob reached out to um, because, you know, Jesus, you know, they got Hellraiser. They got all these other things behind. Um, they absolutely turned them down. They said, nope, we're not going to fucking do this. This thing is too much, even for our standards. And so they didn't even get them, give them the time of day. Um, and then he ended up, weird thing happening, uh, went to MGM. MGM actually caught wind of actually sorry MGM caught wind of it. Rob went to them. It was kind of a, a partnership of sorts. They're like, no, oh, we'd love this. Now that's weird because MGM again is another major studio. Really, de- isn't never was in the horror franchise business. I mean, very few movies in their catalog uh, deals with horror at, at all. So for them to pick it up was like, oh wow. But you know, it saved. And not only did they pick it up, but they ended up giving them more money to go. Okay, here's more money to finish it. When can you have this done? Well, shit. By this point, it's like 2000, almost 2001, if not early 2001. So we're looking at two years now has gone by. Um, fans are waiting. Fans are, are, you know, just biting at the at the teeth to try to, you know, they they know it's came out. They know he's been filming it. They know, of course, the Universal thing tanked it. That sent him back. Then this sent him back, you know, and all this stuff. So fans are just biting at the bit, trying to, you know, see, to watch this fucking thing that comes out. Meanwhile, um, he gets married, gets married to uh, Cheryl, uh, Sherry. And so they're a thing now, doing their thing. Um, MGM picks it up. You know, life is looking pretty good. He's got another album coming out. He's touring. Like, you know, it's like, God damn, you know, if they, it's been a struggle, but things are coming together. This is cool. And so he was introduced. He was uh, a <laughs> – somebody invited him to be on this MTV, and I can't remember what it was. It was MTV uh, – some video about like behind the scenes movies thing that MTV used to do. And, and he was asked to host it one, one of these shows. And so it, they had a live audience and they, they talk. And I think Pulp Fiction, I want to say, maybe that was the one that, that they, he was going to talk about. But um, anyway, the audience was asking one of the audience members hand popped up. Of course, first thing out of his mouth, you know, after everything was like, Hey Rob, um, Hey, love to see your host. That's awesome. What the fuck about house for a thousand corpses? What's going on? And <laughs> He did not know he was mic'd up, evidently. And he said, you know, so MGM picked it up. Um, I think it's going to be out soon. He says, evidently, they have no morals over there at MGM, um, but they have deep pockets. And so um, they're the ones that are going to put it up because, you know, they, they, they have no decency. <laughs> well, that got back to MGM, and MGM dumped him. But like the next day, would, no, don't call us, don't write us, don't do anything. So Rob kind of fucked himself on that one because, you know, I mean, shit, things, you don't say things in public and, and not, you know, get accosted because of them. But so yet again, the movie's out. Needless to say, Lionsgate came to the rescue. Of course, you know, everybody knows them. They've been kicking around for quite some time. Uh, kind of famous for um, picking up movies that nobody else is doing. And a, a lot of times, you know, they hit a big. Um, same thing as before. Gave a little bit of money to finish uh, and everything else. And and just, you know, if it wasn't for, for them snatching that up, I, I don't think we would be where we are today with said movie. So... And I will say 2002 was going to be the screening um, when they screened it, and then it was out for release. So all that work to get House of Thousand Corpses where it is. The ironic thing, this is what's fucking hilarious. Fast forward to like uh, late 2000, so let's say 2010-ish time frame. Um, Universal comes back and says, uh, oh, hey, shit, you know, we want basically they – bought back some of the rights to, and, and again, this is all, I think, legal stuff for the most part, but they, they, they wanted back because they wanted to reintroduce, you know, eight, nine years later, 
House of a Thousand Corpses that now is like this. It's a cult film. I mean, it once it released, it was released on VHS. It turned into a cult film. The day it was released, it turned into a cult film. And they're seeing this. They're paying attention to this. So now they want a revival. So now they want they want to do House of a Thousand Corpses haunted exhibit and at the Universal lot and all this bullshit. So not only did they go to, to um, Lionsgate to actually go ahead and ask back, but Lionsgate sold them back some of the rights so they could use it, which was a huge cost, along with a bunch of other stuff. The $7 million that Universal put into it, they end up spending more money. Not only did they eat that money because they sold it back to Rob for a fraction of the price, but they ended up eating more money to get the privileges to in, to do it, which Lionsgate said, you you know, you can do. Um, so it's just fucking irony because now here they are even more in the hole for a movie that they pass up on because in all fairness, it was just a bad time. It was a bad time to do it. Bad time to have it out. Um, you know, and I think Rob understood that. But, you know, the, the irony of all that at the end was um, what was just ridiculous, you know, for the most part. So um, so that, there's the story. Uh, a couple little tidbits, too, which I, I find really kind of cool. Uh, for those of you who may or may not know this or love musicals, don't love musicals, well, I know that's weird to say as I'm, you know, talking about House of a Thousand Corpses. But the sh- house that they actually shot on the back lot that was a Firefly compound was the same house that was in... Um, um, shit. Uh, Best Horror House in Texas with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. The house was in Texas. They filmed, it was a musical, then it went to big screen. Um, it, 82, I want to say it came out. Wife and I love the show just because it's so fucking stupid and dumb and the songs are stupid and dumb. But like at least once a year, we, we pop it on and watch it because it's just fun. But they took that house and they actually moved it and relocated it to the back lot. That was the Firefly compound. So the same house that, w- that was um, Best of House in Texas is where they did the Firefly trilogy, which I, I find a fun little fact. On top of the fact is, again, two houses down is, of course, the original Munster's house. So, you know, like when the cast would break for lunch or whatever have you, you know, they go sit on the steps of the Munster's house and listen to uh, the the Jaws exhibit next door, you know, eating people and shit like that. They, they just some of the really cool interviews they had about, you know, just filming of the movie. Uh, it was just absolutely amazing, you know, and, and I think so many things being a movie fan and being a fan of that movie, being a fan of Rob Zombie, um, it all just encapsulates. I mean, and yes, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it was it was bad timing. Yeah, Rob stuck his foot in his mouth, uh, probably caused more money. Like and I'm sure at the time Rob was just going through hell. I'm sure it was like, holy fuck, you know, I can't catch a break my first thing i i I, you know i know you know i can do this i'm going to prove it to people Um, but it was like one fucking roadblock after another needless to say now you fast forward and um you know he which is funny because like monsters for example that he just released universal is backing monsters (laughs) so and what's crazy is instead of using the original monsters house on the back lot he went to turkey and built the house and left the set over there in Turkey, which I'm, I'm hoping I got my fingers crossed. It'll be a Munsters too. Uh, we'll see. But not only that, but um, studios approached him for the Halloween remakes and um, just these other things that you know he's been involved with. So you know, I and no ill will against Robbie. I think really honestly, it was just bad timing. They couldn't do it, but they would never go back to him and ask him to do these things if they you know if money wasn't involved. If they didn't think that they could make something of it, and not only did he do the Halloween remake, but they offered him to come back and do part two, which he did. Um, of course, you know, he's got other movies in his, uh, you know, wheelhouse, like say, you know, what is it? Which is a Salem and some of these other ones that just, they're not, I don't know. You know, I'm a Rob Zombie fan, but it's really even being a fan. It's hard. It's hard for me to get through a couple of his movies and I just can't, I just don't know why, 
wow, man, it seems like, you know, the creativity here is a little bit exhausted, to be honest with you. But, um, but you know, it's it's really neat for the anniversary for the Corpses movie and all that wrap-up. You know, and again, just, you know, if nothing else, uh, even like Clive Barker, for example, uh, was one of the his biggest fans. You know, of course, you know, we know Clive Barker from Hellraiser and all that other stuff. Um, one of my favorite movie, Lord of Illusions, that was based off a Clive Barker book as well. Um, that's an old movie you can't find anymore. I actually had to get it overseas and sent um, an amazing, crazy show. If you guys never watch it, try to find it. it. It's fascinating. But even Clive Barker was like, oh, my God, no, I'm a huge Rob fan. There's no way I could make that. He says his creativity, what, what he came up with, um, for out of that movie, the abstract shots, the scene cuts, the the characters, Captain Spaulding, you know, you throw it, not only is he a fucking killer clown, but he makes the best fried chicken you've ever tasted. Um, just one thing after another and building the set from scratch. Like even though the um, ride that they go to at Captain Spaulding Museum, um, they had big plans to make it all motorized and, you know, automated and all this stuff. And Rob says like, no. No, just have him have some guy push a fucking train cart around, get him in there, you know, um, uh, sit hey, can do, you know, slap a top hat on and start doing narration. That's how we want to do it. This guy doesn't have money to run like a, a an actual amusement ride like you would see at the fair. This guy's a fucking psycho that runs the shit out of his house. And so film it like this, you know. So just having that, having that view and, and having that passion, having that forward thinking. Absolutely amazing. So, um, anyway, hopefully you guys like that. Again, you know, some of it you may or may not know. I felt it fitting to kind of drop this on Halloween because I, uh, why not? Why not? You know, I think it's awesome. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, if you guys have never watched it, you've been dragging your feet, go watch it. I write me, I will send you a copy. Um, I'll, I'll even autograph it, whatever the fuck that means. So, you know, watch it, check it out. If you have seen it, um, watch it again. Watch it again with these little things that, that I didn't know, you know, scenes and people that were doubling up to play other ones. It, it just, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun ride. Um, and it still holds itself up, you know, decades later. And uh, anyway, for what it's worth, happy Halloween, everybody. Close the gates. <laughs>